0: Campside Media. Hello? What is the uh, what do you want me What to is say? going on here? Like, oh, it's why? just um Chameleon.
1: Chameleon. Chameleon. Okay. You're listening to Chameleon.
0: A production of Campside Media.
1: Oh. <laughs> hey, a quick warning. There's some explicit language in this episode that may not be appropriate for younger listeners. So Chuck Rowe and Dennis Lau, the FBI agents I'm talking about in this podcast have a history of putting together questionable criminal conspiracies. As you heard about in the last episode, they created a gun smuggling ring out of three Filipinos and a bunch of beat up, barely usable firearms. But the FBI also catches real bad guys in similar kinds of stings. Early in my career as a reporter, I wrote some investigative stories about police corruption in Hollywood, Florida, just north of Miami. It's a stylish little town with a boardwalk on the beach and a restaurant-lined Main Street. I spent over a year documenting the very troubled Hollywood Police Department and how bad cops not only got to stay on the force, but also pretty much got to run the town. Apparently, some federal agents were reading my stories, because not long after, the FBI secretly set up a sting targeting some of the police officers I'd written about. The FBI does this a lot, public corruption cases are a top priority for the Bureau. If agents think they've got corrupt state or local officials, they'll open an investigation and raise the stakes using a federal law known as the Hobbs Act, which makes it a federal crime for public officials to accept money in exchange for some form of official action. So in Hollywood, Florida, the FBI guys posed as mobsters and they offered money to a few cops to provide protection. Those cops escorted what they thought was heroin from Miami Beach to Hollywood and a load of what they thought were stolen diamonds all the way from Florida to New Jersey. These cops were bad, dirty, and the FBI took them down. They all went to prison. Good job, FBI. The challenge for FBI agents in investigating criminal enterprises is where to draw the line. At what point are you creating a criminal enterprise rather than uncovering one? The answer to that question isn't always easy, because there is an inherent bias. This is actually one of my favorite conversations to have with FBI guys. I don't think that most people appreciate that the FBI, and cops in general, have the same pressures to produce that people in other professions have. Take me, for example. I'm a journalist, or in this specific instance, a podcaster. Imagine if I'd spent seven months out in the field interviewing people, burning up time and money, and then I went back to the people paying me, and I said, hey, look, that story I've spent the past seven months researching, yeah, well, it hasn't worked out. I'd probably get fired, right? This pressure isn't all that different for FBI agents. If they've got an investigation approved and they're working it week after week, month after month, the last thing they wanna do is go to their superior and say, hey boss, there's no case here. And so there's an incentive for FBI agents to keep pushing, to build a case no matter what. And sometimes the agents push way too hard. I'm Trevor Aronson from Campside Media, this is Episode 5 of High Rollers, Season 2 of Chameleon. This episode, I'm going to return to the story of Emile Buari. And the other people, Dennis and Chuck, pulled into their undercover money laundering sting. As you know, Dennis and Chuck and Michelle, the informant, got Emil to launder tens of thousands of dollars as part of Operation Botox. And now they want to make sure Emil is more than just a lone money launderer. They want to make him the head of an enterprise, a criminal enterprise. And not just a criminal enterprise but a Middle Eastern criminal enterprise. That's what Chuck wrote in the file for Operation Botox. The description is curious, to say the least. What's the connection to the Middle East? Emil's Lebanese heritage, I guess. And maybe the fact that the FBI looked briefly into Emil in the days after 9-11 and wrote down wild, unverified, and ultimately untrue claims about him. Back when he started Operation Botox in 2014, Chuck would have had an incentive to describe his investigation as targeting a Middle Eastern criminal enterprise. Even 13 years after 9-11, the FBI was singularly focused on counterterrorism, preventing the next attack and investigating how terrorist networks finance themselves. That was then, and is today, the FBI's number one priority, the largest part of the FBI's annual budget. In the bureaucracy of the FBI, A Middle Eastern criminal enterprise has a lot more juice than just your average American criminal enterprise. So now Dennis and Michelle, working to investigate this supposed Middle Eastern criminal enterprise, want Emile to introduce them to other people. They want Emile's friends to launder money. You remember that Dennis has already talked to Emile's friend, Mary, about money laundering. You know, from that time when Dennis and Mary went out for drinks and also talked about threesomes. And for every friend Emil refers, Dennis offers to give Emil a cut. So Emil has a financial incentive to help Dennis find other money launderers. And Emil, well, he falls for this. He gets in on that action. Here's Michelle. Yeah, I was telling him about Riva. Riva is a friend of Emil's, she does Botox and filler injections.
2: Riva would be great, but she married. She just recently married this guy, and he's sold by the books.
1: Okay. Riva doesn't work out, but Emil Buhari's best friend is a guy named Steve Fitch. Like Emil, Steve's a salesman. He sold advertising for radio and television stations, even America Online or AOL, back in its heyday. But the easiest product for him to sell has been an erectile dysfunction remedy. Here's Steve talking to Dennis and Michelle. Uh, erectile
2: dysfunction guy here, very profitable. You buy the doses for 6 bucks yeah. and sell them for 25 But it will help a guy that has prostate issues. Really? It, will, it will give
1: interaction for anybody.
0: Better than Viagra and Cialis. Well, because that,
2: oh,
1: you might not have heard that. Dennis said, better than Viagra and Cialis? He's talking about two brand name erectile dysfunction drugs that dilate a man's blood vessels and make it easier to, well... Rise to the occasion. But Steve wasn't selling a little blue pill. His stuff came in a syringe with a sharp needle at the end. You stick it right into your well, you know.
3: This is a shot. (laughs)
0: But it's, it's <laughs> You know, I
3: did
2: it once yeah. just to experience it, but oh, know, all the sensitivities uh, at the end—you don't decide. We had a guy though that was so, so sensitive.
0: So the salt administer Yeah,
2: okay. it's,
3: it's
0: spring-loaded, and you just go and go. Shh. Don't you have to be kind of uh, in the mood though too? Or, or you, you gotta, gotta be because, ready. You shoot that
1: if you need to lose weight, like you can go to a meals clinic. If you can't get an erection, meals friend Steve can hook you up. This is the strange world in which Dennis and Michelle. Offering money laundering opportunities. And things just keep getting more and more ridiculous in this FBI sting. Next up is Emil's friend Mike. This Mike guy, he just stands Dennis and Michelle up, doesn't even show up for the dinner. A frustrated Dennis calls his FBI colleague, Chuck, from the restaurant bathroom. Hey, uh, okay, Mike's not
0: right here. He's. he's, he's right. I don't know, man. I think either he's just late or he might be me late for drinks or. Emile's just fucking with me,
1: but I... So back to the drawing board. They move to another friend of Emile's, a woman named Sarah, in a Las Vegas nightclub. That's what
0: he's trying to take care of. Can he do that? And the, the thing is, is that... Can he do that? They have, yes, but they have different ways of doing it that
1: is safe. After clubbing with Sarah, Dennis and Michelle are driving away. Dennis asks Michelle if this woman they'd met, Sarah, did she know they were supposed to be bad guys?
0: She knows we're
1: bad guys, right? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You sure? About it. That's when Michelle points out to Dennis that the woman they're trying to set up in a money laundering sting is a mother.
0: But she have three kids, man.
1: You can hear Dennis breathe out a large sigh. But they're not deterred. Next, they move on to meet with a real estate agent who boasts of his recent record of selling houses in Las Vegas.
0: But buying and selling property, I sell about 110 homes a year. Okay. And most of the ones i sold in the last three years, they've resold for 100% profit.
1: Wow. Okay, so that real estate agent had quite a story for Dennis and Michelle. 110 homes sold a year, most resold for 100% profit. A lot of money to be made. And let me tell you about one more guy they tried to get. His name is Robbie. The FBI's Operation Botox case file, by the way, says he's a pothead who lives in West Virginia, has a trust fund worth more than 300 million dollars, and that he's friends with former First Lady Michelle Obama. It's unclear if any of that is true. The FBI never checked out the claims and instead just wrote them down in a file, the same way the FBI recorded the false claims about a meal after the 9/11 attacks. The only source the FBI had for this information about this Robbie guy came from a conversation Dennis had with someone Emil knew where this came up.
0: What does he do for him? He's really good friends with Michelle Obama. Obama. Like, he's in with the Obama state time. Like, anytime they have new oh, friends or private parties, he's always
2: over there.
1: Dennis and Michelle never got this Robbie guy. Dennis had a phone conversation with him to talk business.
0: Do you come out to Vegas or to LA once in a
1: while? That's Dennis inviting Robbie out to Las Vegas or Los Angeles. And nothing more happened. And the rest of the people I just talked about, the erectile dysfunction guy, Steve, the woman in the nightclub, the real estate agent, none of them agreed to launder money, ever. The FBI approached more than a dozen of Emil's friends and associates and asked if they wanted to launder money. Only two people did. One was Emile's girlfriend, Kim Milko. Kim laundered $110,000 in total for Dennis and Michelle. What's that? Uh. Or. He uh, should. Oh, you reset it earlier, did you? Because you should total the whole thing. She was so new to money laundering that during her first transaction with Dennis, Michelle had to teach her how to use the money counter.
2: Oh, really? So the yeah. total, so I don't have to write. Yeah,
0: anything? you don't have to write it down. Okay, if you do oh. 26. Well, well, now you no. you have to. Yeah. You have to start from
2: the beginning. Okay, then. okay.
0: okay. put them up. Yeah. count per bundle.
1: Per oh, bundle, okay. yeah. yeah. But then it you, adds it up on the bottom. We have not realize that. So then I don't have to write it all down. The fact that Kim got involved That's here, it. A pro. it really messed up Emil's relationship with her. We'll get to that later. Dennis and Michelle, we're also able to get Mary Green to launder $25,000 as well. Mary, the one you know from the arrest on the toilet and the threesome conversation with Dennis. Unlike Kim, Mary didn't have trouble with a money counter because she didn't have a money counter. According to the FBI file, she told Dennis that she didn't need to count the money. Dennis explained to her that counting the money is kind of standard procedure in money laundering. But Mary told him she just counted at home later not exactly the actions of a hardcore money launderer. But Dennis and Michelle weren't finished with the supposed criminal enterprise headed by Emile Bouhari. They'd soon target one more person. Emile is really close to. Emile's own flesh and blood. More after the break. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. You're listening to Camille from Campside Media. After meeting with Dennis and Michelle, Steve, the erectile dysfunction guy, called his bookkeeper and explained what Dennis had proposed. So I called Steve and talked to him about this. Hey, Trevor. Steve sells cars in Las Vegas now luxury cars, infinities.
3: Emil well, said, hey, it's great. They,
1: you know, you'll do, they give them you cash, you write them a check, you can write it off. I have an operations manager who she's also paralegal and she pretty much is my left-hand lady. And I called her up. I said, damn, they want to do this. And she said, no, I go, what? She goes, that's money laundering. I go, oh, it is. Cause I had heard of money. laundering. I didn't really know exactly what it was. And she said, no, you will not do that. I said, oh, okay. I didn't know that. So that was, that was the end of our conversation. I never, ever talked to him again. The supposed, Middle Eastern criminal enterprise that Chuck and Dennis were investigating for the FBI? Whatever this was, it wasn't that. It was more like Operation Botox was investigating anyone in Emile's contacts. And the vast majority of these people, they're just regular people. Well, okay. Not exactly regular people. We are talking about people hawking rapid weight loss plans and erectile dysfunction remedies. What I mean is, They don't appear to be criminals. They aren't money launderers, certainly. And yet the FBI spends weeks and weeks trying to lure these people into laundering money. The FBI isn't allowed to just do this, investigate anyone. The FBI needs what's known as a criminal predicate, a factual basis to believe that someone is committing a crime. So I asked Jeffrey Danick, a retired former FBI supervisory agent, what it takes to predicate an investigation. Just as an example, if, if someone came to the FBI and came to you when you are in the FBI and said, hey, this guy Trevor Aronson, he's running guns, and that's all you had, is that a predicated investigation?
2: No. Uh, the information might get a case open, but then I would say, well, let's buy one from him. Trevor sells guns? Let's buy one. Can we buy one? Get, here's the phone. Call Trevor. Tell him you just came in to 5000 so you got a guy with five grand wants a gun. What do you got?
1: The FBI, in this case, talks Emil into laundering money for them. Sure, they didn't exactly twist his arm, but there's no evidence Emil has ever laundered money before. And so they then use Emil as a kind of predicate to justify anyone who Emil suggests might be interested in their so-called business opportunities. Even though the FBI has no reason, other than Emil's introduction, to think these people might actually launder money. But very few of Emil's friends and associates take the bait, proving, in a sense, that the FBI shouldn't have been investigating these people in the first place. Then Dennis and Chuck hit up someone new, someone Emil cares about more than anyone else. So remember the story I told you back in episode two about this guy in Florida named Kasan? He loses everything, his freedom, his home, his business, because he made the mistake of associating with the wrong people at the wrong time. Well, Gassan is Gus, Gus Buhari, Emil's brother. Gus came to the United States on an investor visa to start Buhari Clinic franchises in the Philadelphia area. When Emil's business went under, Gus went out on his own creating a new diet clinic company. He left the Philadelphia clinics to a business partner and eventually moved with his wife to Miami, start new clinics there. That's about when Emil started telling Gus about his new business opportunities. Emil
3: called me in early 2014. I had just moved to Miami. And uh, he told me, listen, I have this business opportunity. I've met these guys as a business opportunity that you might be interested in getting, uh, you know, everybody here is interested in this business opportunity. And I'm like, oh, cool. What, What is this business opportunity? He's like, I'll tell you later. I'll tell
1: you later. Back in Las Vegas, Emil is actually thinking about a change. His girlfriend, Kim Milko, has just moved to Costa Rica after she had laundered some money for Dennis. And Emil plans to join her there in time. And we're going to talk a lot later about Paul Pata the local lawyer Emil wrote all those negative reviews about. And the guy, Emil claims, he got into a verbal spat with at a Vegas bar, something Paul denies ever happened. Anyway, at this point, Paul is suing Emil in Las Vegas for defamation over those internet reviews. And Emil's been evading service. You've seen a process server in countless movies and TV shows. Good, I won't have to walk far. Olivia
3: Pope, you've been served.
1: That's That's what Emil's trying to avoid. If he can't be served with a lawsuit, Emil figures the lawsuit won't go anywhere. As I said, we'll get into that later, because that's a hell of a rabbit hole. And with all this happening, Miami's looking pretty good to Emil. And there's another reason to move there. Gus and his wife are about to have a baby. Here's Gus.
3: Miami's more attractive, and it's getting more attractive to move to Miami, because now he can be an uncle, there's a family there,
1: um, and he's bringing with him business opportunities that I could do. Those business opportunities Gus is talking about, he's referring to Dennis and Michelle. Emil told Gus that he has two business colleagues who are coming to see him in Miami. Emil makes it seem to Gus like they're investors. He's probably embarrassed to tell his brother the truth. And Emil figures his straight-laced brother won't get sucked into Dennis and Michelle's so-called business opportunities because he's got a lot more to lose. Here's Emil.
2: My brother is, he's a lot more scared and cautious. I mean, he has a wife and a kid at that point. I have neither, so...
1: Emil is a bit of a health nut, an early-to-bed, early-to-rise kind of guy. So he asks Gus for a favor.
2: My brother loves going out at night. He goes out to nightclubs and drinks and stuff like that, which I don't. So. I basically hand them off to him and I'm like, have a lot of fun with them and don't, you know, don't do anything stupid.
3: Here's how Gus remembers it. So take them out, They're, they'll spend money on you. You just take them out. I'm like, okay, I don't care, I'll be a good host. No problem. Like they can take me out in Miami.
1: One evening in June, 2015, Emil picks up Gus and they go to the Fountain Blue, a five-star hotel right on South Beach in Miami to meet Dennis and Michelle for drinks.
0: Emil, hey.
1: Here's Gus, remembering this initial meeting. We meet them for drinks, and uh, as soon as we get
3: to the bar, uh, they were so much fun. Like, they were so much fun. Dennis is like, hey, brother, Emil, hey, how are you, brother? And stuff like that. You know, they'd hug and stuff. And then Michelle, uh, this Moroccan guy with a heavily accented, hey, brother, how are you, brother? How are you? Yeah, you are the little brother, Gassan yeah, yeah. or Gus. What do I call you? I'm like, I don't like call whatever you want. I don't care. Like, uh, Gus is fine. Everyone calls me Gus. Hey, Gus, brother, you're my brother. You know you're my brother, right? I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. whatever.
1: They have a few drinks at the hotel, and then Gus recommends another bar they can go to. Dennis and Michelle get in their car, and drive separately. As they're talking privately during the drive, Dennis asks Michelle if he thinks Gus knows anyone. And by that he means, does Gus know anyone who will launder money?
0: you think his brother knows anybody?
1: I don't know, he said, I'm gonna ask his brother about the Turkish. He told me his wife is Turkish,
0: she knows a lot of Turkish people. Okay, let's push, Play. It. Let's push that angle tonight. I think the Russian
1: okay, so Gus's wife, with whom he just had a baby, is Turkish. But Dennis and Michelle have no reason to suspect that the Turkish people that Gus's wife happens to know in Miami would participate in financial crimes. It's all just a fishing expedition. And at the next bar they go to, the leads don't get any better for Dennis and Michelle. Dennis and Michelle ask about Russians, because there are a lot of Russians in South Florida and all. And Gus mentions that he knows a Ukrainian guy. He can introduce them. It's a whole lot of nothing. The gang of four then decides to go to a strip club. Gus has one he recommends. And so Dennis and Michelle pile into their car again. As they're driving to the strip club, Chuck Rowe, the FBI agent managing the case, calls Michelle's cell phone.
2: Hey,
0: buddy. Hey, buddy, can you talk? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, uh, I'm on a speaker with uh, Dennis. OK. Uh, how it go? Yeah, Very I mean. Good. Everything went wait, wait, fine. Wait, wait, wait,
2: wait. Do not put on
0: speaker. Uh, you talk to me on the telephone? OK. OK. Oh. No, he wants to talk to
1: you. Oh, you want to talk to me? You can't hear Chuck from this point. But from what Michelle says, Chuck appears to point out the obvious. That Michelle has a recording device on, and Chuck doesn't want what he says recorded.
0: Hello?
2: Yeah, you want to talk to me?
0: Yes. Oh, oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah. No, we didn't. There was nobody there. Well, because he said he know no, some people here. over there. But it's too yeah. early. Hold on. Hey, Chuck. I'm driving. I can't talk. Okay. okay here's the deal with this. We're just, he's getting a trust. Did he, this is just, he suggested that place because he said there's uh. Uh, Lebanese and, and Lebanese. Russians. That okay, uh, he said, hang out like there. more like, like, mob guys that, that would go there. And so it was just a dead night. That's why. Okay, but he he trusts us. Dude, this guy this guy's gonna be. He told Michelle he's gonna have uh, but two people lined up tomorrow. Okay, um, one is uh, Ukrainian but has ties to the Russian. Okay. Mob and the Yeah, Turkish. and so uh, and the other one is Turkish. Turkish. So he's he yeah he, uh, he wants he knows we're the real deal. His brother talked to him about us. So uh, so we're we we're, we're gonna have two, two meets tomorrow. Uh, we're trying to do it during the day, so we're not busy at night. But we'll see. But uh, he's taking us. Uh, they're taking us to uh, a club that Emil had known. The, the he's gonna see if the the manager's still there that he used to know. It's a, it's, a, it's a strip club? I think this is just... He suggested
1: okay, place he said to that, be clear, uh, in, uh, this is all bullshit. Russian Dennis is making this all up on the fly. He and Michelle appear to be drumming up excuses to go to the strip club. The whole Russian thing here, it's preposterous. Emil and Gus aren't going to introduce them to Russians. They don't appear to know any Russians. And they won't find any at the strip club either. But Dennis and Michelle aren't about to let Emile and Gus get away. More after the break. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media.
2: In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover.
1: First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun.
2: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The
1: Conspiracy Tapes. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. Nothing at all comes of this trip to Miami. No one launders money for Dennis during this trip. Not even Emile. Dennis and Michelle leave empty handed and fly back to Las Vegas with no new leads. But Dennis and Michelle keep contacting Gus.
3: It was like a salesman that keeps calling, and you give them the cold shoulder, and they're supposed to understand. And the reason why I gave them the cold shoulder as opposed to saying, look, I you know don't call me. I'm not interested in in any business opportunities, was because they were Emile's friends.
1: Dennis and Michelle returned to Miami two months later. In late August. Emil agrees to launder $60,000 for them. Gus doesn't know about this second visit. But when Emil arrives at Dennis and Michelle's hotel, he doesn't have his money counter. So he calls Gus and asks for a favor. Can he drop off a money counter? He had said hotel. And I'm like, who, who are you with?
3: Uh, why are you in a hotel? It was early in the day. Like, what is Emil doing in a hotel? He's like, I'm with Dennis and Michelle. And I um, started thinking, I'm like, man, fuck this. I don't, ugh, I've been, I've, you know, I've been avoiding these guys. It's going to be a little bit awkward. Um, you know, there's, there's no reason. I just don't, you know, will tell Emil to come down and just take this money counter machine and go back and go do whatever he's doing.
1: So Gus delivers the money counter to Emile. He says he didn't know Emile's business with Dennis and Michel was illegitimate. He says he didn't know the counting machine was for laundering money. Dennis and Michelle stay in Miami after the $60,000 transaction with Emil, and the whole time they pressure Gus in phone calls and through Emil to come out with them. They get a table at a nightclub at the Fountain Blue Hotel, that nice hotel on South Beach, and plead with Gus to meet them there, show them the town again. Gus acquiesces, and he meets them for drinks at a Miami steakhouse called Porterhouse.
3: We were drinking. Uh... Dennis told me, um, "Hey, listen. Do you know how much your brother made yesterday? He uh, he made a commission of eight percent." I'm like, "Okay, he made like seven thousand bucks last night, or yesterday."
0: You know how much your brother made this last sale? He made almost seven thousand. All right, I just want to let you know that.
3: And uh, he told me, he's like, look, I have some money left. Um, Would you like to do a $10,000 business deal? And I say, like, what do I do? What do you mean?
1: Dennis explains his system, the one you know well at this point. He gives cash, and in return, he gets checks, minus points, made out to front companies.
3: He was telling me, look, we can do a business deal together. So, um, I had just said, "Okay, well, I have ten thousand. Maybe we can do something together. And then uh, the next day, um, I think about it some more, and I'm like, so let's let's see what he told me exactly. So, so I'm thinking, well, I have to means I have to give these guys a a check and they're going to give me cash. I like, nah, this doesn't sound very off. This doesn't sound right. So it felt very strange, and I I don't think this is legal. You know, like I don't get how they're doing it. I don't think I can do this. I can't do this. So I went on that day and he told me again, look, business check or personal check. I'm like, look, sorry, I I can't do this. I'm not doing this. I don't have the money. I got hit with fraud. So I came up with an excuse and I said, I got hit with fraud. So my money's stuck. I can't, uh, it's frozen. My money's frozen. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's frozen. (laughs) Yeah, my money's frozen. I can't, I don't know. I can't do this. And then he's like, okay, well, man, you could have made some money. Like, yeah, I know. Sorry.
1: Months pass. Again. Dennis and Michelle continue to call and text Emil and Gus, offering, you know, business opportunities. Emil and Gus are blowing them off. They're just sick of this whole thing. Sick of these two guys.
2: They would call, especially Michelle would call, hey, brother, blah, 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 we still want to meet you one time and blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. There's nothing left to do. This is a meal. Then Dennis would, you know, let's just meet. Just just don't worry about anything. Let's just have Gus do all the work. Let's start a new business. I'm like, no, no, my business is doing fine and so on and so forth. It would be that type of context, that type of narrative.
3: They keep contacting me and say, hey, listen, uh, let's, uh, let's meet up, call me, call me. I have a great idea for you. I have a great business for you. And I don't, I don't answer. And this is Gus. Uh, there was one point um, where Dennis kept calling me and he would c- call and call and I picked up. I'm like, yeah, what's up?
1: He's like, tell your brother to call me now. I'm like, whoa. Gus tells Emile about the call from Dennis. This is February, six months after Dennis and Michelle had last visited them in Miami. Emile calls Dennis. And Dennis says he wants Emil and Gus to come see him in Las Vegas. But Emile gets an additional message from the call.
2: There's always this type of whisper of threat. You see what I'm saying? It's not anything direct, we're going to kill you. But it's always, you know what we can do. Uh, I could show you pictures of what we've done before to people. and
1: Like you, like you would face physical harm? Right?
2: Yes, absolutely,
1: yes. Emile's scared. And he needs Gus to come to Las Vegas to appease Dennis. So Emile goes to the gym. Where Gus is working out, and waits for him to come outside.
3: It's not Emil's style at all. Emil doesn't, you know, wait outside for anyone at the gym, or doesn't, you know, even for me. And he tells me like, "Look, dude, these guys really want you to come to Las Vegas. Like, they want me and you to come to Las Vegas. They really want us to talk." I'm like, "Yeah, but, dude, I told you. Like, I don't need to go. I don't want to go." And he's like, look, man, they're putting a lot of pressure on me. Please, let's just go together and stuff. And I look at him, and I look at his face, and that was the first time ever that I ever saw Emil Buari look, like, sort of scared. Like, it, it was said on his face that he's not telling me directly, dude, like, I don't want to go alone. I don't feel comfortable. Could you please come with me, brother? He didn't say those words, but the way he looked at me, the way he looked at me, then I said, okay, fine, let's go. Because now I was curious. Like, fuck it, okay, fuck it, dude, let's
1: go. So they get on the plane, and when they get there, Dennis and Chuck will have a big surprise for them as they walk to the baggage claim area at the Las Vegas airport. This is High Rollers. In the next episode, Gus and Emil discover that Dennis and Michelle weren't businessmen. They were FBI guys. I was
3: like, I think it's the FBI. like, oh my God, man, it's the feds.
1: Gus is furious with Emil.
2: Well, probably he was blaming me, yeah, because he didn't know everything. I kept him out of a lot. I didn't tell him who they were. I said they were investors, business investors, and
1: so on. And Gus discovers that Emil's beef with a local Las Vegas attorney got so out of hand that he was recorded talking about hiring a hitman. No, I no,
0: do need uh, someone to come and beat him up one day. Teach, kind of teach him a lesson. Uh, yes, teach him a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, what the, the guy? Maybe it's put, an attorney. Yeah. Maybe put him in a wheelchair for a little... <laughs> for a little yeah. time. Yes.
2: No, no, no. no that's. Yeah. What I for will at some time. point yeah. need Oh, so,
1: yeah. Chameleon Season 2 comes from Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. Our executive producers are Vanessa Gregoriadis and Adam Hoff. Alex Yablons fact-checked the series. Margot Williams also contributed to Research. Mark McAdam composed the theme song. Doug Slaywin and Sam Leeds provided production support. The executive producers at Campside Media are Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed High Rollers, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other listeners like you find the show. And make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Take me in Sin City. Take me in Sin City. When you're in Sin City, no use confessing your sins.